want to give a little background here for anybody that's a guest. Those of you that know me know that I don't like being um, unprepared, all right? Whenever I got the assignment in school to go write the term paper that wasn't due for six weeks, I immediately went to the library to look for books to make sure that nobody would take the books I needed. Are you with me on that, Caitlin? You can, I mean, I, don't, I wasn't the guy that was writing the term paper on the way to school when it was due, all right? Now, I've had family members that were that way, but I am not that way. That would give me headaches, diarrhea, all kinds of problems, all right? I, I, I can't, I do. So I just want you to know that whenever I stand up here in the pulpit to share something, usually what you're getting is over-preparation, and you're getting a, a, a fragment of what was on my notes, all right, because we just run out of time. So now I'm, give, I'm leading up to where I'm going. I got in yesterday. We taught for three days straight, and we taught a lot of material, some of which I was assigned I had never taught before. So I was, re- I was doing that homework on the plane, all right, to get there. So I go to bed last night, and I'm, my plan is to get up early this morning. And, uh, and any of you that have ever dealt with jet lag, some, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. I went to bed early, and I w- I, my eyes popped open, and I'm like, yes, I feel great. I got eight hours of sleep. It was 1.15 or 1.30 or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a bad joke. So my eyes open. I looked at the clock. I'm like, okay. And here's the first thing I said, Lord, what do you want to share with your people this morning? Now, let me just tell you. This was not my first time I ever asked the Lord this question. I've been chewing on this series for about two months. I'm incredibly excited about, about this month of February. Uh, and I knew the general direction. But this is what, how many of you know when you talk to God at 1.30 in the morning, there's not a lot of distracting noises to compete with, all right? This is what I heard the Lord say as clear as could be. It's time to dream again. How's that? It's time to dream again. Um, and I really, this morning is an opportunity for some of you to experience some resurrection in your heart and in your life, um, because it's time to dream again. There are certain things that have, have fallen into uh, brokenness, death, hopelessness. I'll get into that in a moment. But the Lord is very clearly telling us, not only individually, but corporately, that we're moving into a season where God wants to fill us with fresh vision and dreams. And that some of the dreams that we had that you thought were as good as dead, God's not done with those dreams. He's getting ready to resurrect them for such a time as this. And so here's what we're going to do today. Um, we're going to jump back in in just a moment to a worship flow, and we're going to practice what we're hearing from God's Word today. Is that okay with all of you? We're going we're to hear the Word then we're going to do the word, all right? And I believe God is going to meet us in a very, very special way. I mean, you know, nothing ever happens until somebody starts dreaming. I mean, I want us just to think about that for a minute. Nothing ever happens. Nobody moves forward. There's no new creations. No situation ever changes without first beginning with a dream that happens in somebody's heart. This is pretty profound, which means if you're not dreaming, you're virtually dead, all right? If you're not dreaming, you've died already. And how many of you know God never intended us to be dead this side of eternity? God wants to fill us with his heart and with his dreams. And so next Sunday, let me just quickly add this. Am I getting a little feedback back there? 
Um, next Sunday is what we're calling Vision Sunday. We're showing that video, and we're going to unfold for you what I believe is a bold, exciting vision for where Living Stones, where our church family is headed uh, over the next few years. And I, I want you to come, make sure you make a point to be here next week, bring some friends uh, that are looking for some vision maybe in their own lives, but we're going to be announcing some exciting, exciting uh, vision as far as our future here at this church family. I believe this. I believe God honors big dreams because big dreams honor God. Amen? And the people who should be dreaming the biggest dreams are people who know the biggest God. That would namely be us, all right? We should be the ones carrying the biggest dreams. Now, even as I'm looking out here, I mean, I know, I know you folks. I know your stories. I know what some of you have been through. I know even the hard times some of you are walking through right now. And a message on dreaming is like the wrong thing. At least you think it is because you're like, I don't need to hear this. I don't want a pep talk. This isn't going to be a pep talk today. This is going to be a resurrection. This is like an Easter Sunday service, all right? God's going to resurrect stuff that's dead today, all right? Be ready for that. God's going to resurrect stuff that's dead. Now, I found this to be true over my life, and maybe you can experience the same thing. I have found that any big dream requires two ingredients. The first ingredient is time. I mean, you you don't do big things in a short period of time. Usually things that are big things that change history are things that happen because people have been working at something consistently for some time. Many times it's a multi-generational dream that God puts in our hearts. And you look back at the end of your life and you just go, wow, look at all that we were able to accomplish. Most people overestimate what they can get done in a year and underestimate what we can get done in a decade. Amen? So I'm telling you, we need to start dreaming big, but we need a long-term vision. And secondly, you don't, you don't accomplish big dreams by yourself. You accomplish big dreams with a team. So the first ingredient is time. The second ingredient is team. And that's why God brings us together as a church family. There are such amazing people and amazing gifts seated in this place, such treasures that God has created, that when we all get together, work together, move together, there's really no end, the Bible says, to what we can accomplish with the Lord and with each other. Are you with me on that? So time and team. But signs follow people that are moving out in faith. And I want to encourage you that you never see God doing great things first and then the people following up afterwards and going, yeah, wasn't that awesome? Normally, here's the way it happens. God drops something in your spirit that scares you. It excites you, first of all, and then you start thinking about what it's going to take, and then it scares you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And most of us, when God drops the thing in our spirits, we're like, yeah, I see it. And then we start pulling out the, the notepad, and we start making a list of all the things that we need. Now, I was sharing first service. It was amazing to me. Uh, Dave and Marquita Walton had this vision of helping unwed teen moms who were in a tough situation, chose to keep their babies, maybe didn't have a job, maybe hadn't completed school. You, you, know, you get the scenario. How many of you know that's a great dream? Wow, yeah, who doesn't feel warm-hearted about that, right? But then you start doing the paperwork, and you realize, well, we got to have a place to put these people, and we got to have staff to, to help the folks, and we got to have furniture, and we got to pay to keep the electricity on, and they have to eat something. And, you know, Pastor Susie and I were talking, you know, we're sending this team permanently to plant a church in, in a foreign country. And, you know, she came up and had a meeting with me, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for housing. And I sat there going, oh, yeah, someone's got to think about where they're going to live when they get there. 
uh, no small thing. And, and we're not just sending one person. We're sending a bunch of people that all need to find a house you know, on the other side of the world. 11 people that need housing uh, in March, right? <laughs> yeah, in March. And, um, and guess what? They need to get there. So there's plane arrangement. They need, to, they need to eat while they're there. And what is that going to cost? How many of you know, anytime you're thinking big, the initial thought, we're going to plant a church. Ah, you, hear the, you, know, you hear the hallelujah chorus going off, right? And then you start thinking, what are we going to do? And then you start thinking the details. And then what happens is most, most of us, we freak out. We get overwhelmed by all the details. And, and the dream just dies. Then we start going, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know. I, what, uh, and before you, it's going to cost money. Money! Um, and, uh, and how many dreams have died after birth because we simply freaked out about the details? Um, don't, I'm telling you, let's start dreaming big and trusting God. I go back to David and Marquita. There was a couple at first service. This woman said, Pastor, I really wish you'd meet my husband. I wish he could just come to church one time. I know he would love it, but he's, you know, I can't seem to get him here. Well, guess what? It wasn't the right time. But when David announced that vision, I think that was this man's first Sunday or shortly after he got here. And this man has been the key to opening up two warehouses full of free furniture. Now the free furniture, yeah, this is all. Notice the furniture followed the vision. We didn't have any furniture until somebody stepped out and said, I think God would want some people to care for other people that have some needs. You with me? Everything you do that's big and has a big vision that's going to be of any significance is going to cost something. Time, energy, people. I mean, and here I'm just going to give you the headlines. God can't bring signs and wonders until he has somebody with enough faith to step out in the first place, and then he does the things that only God can do. But he's looking for a group of somebodies that will believe him in a big way to do big things. Am I speaking to the right crowd? So I'm just telling you, most of the time you're saying, well, pastor, have you thought about this? Thank God, no, because if I did, it probably would have scared me to death. I just fell in love with the idea that we needed to plant a church where, where there's a bunch of kids being trafficked, sleeping on the street, and there's a huge need, and God stirred something up. I'm, I thank God I'm not smart enough to think of the details. That's why we have Dick and Susie Bastia to think of details. I'm not going to think of details. They scare me, but I'll, I'll be the cheerleader, and guess what? I'll, I'll believe that God can do it. There are so many needs that come together as we start sharing vision that God's going to do stuff that's going to amaze us and wow us if we'll just trust Him. Signs will follow. But I want you to open up your Bibles, first of all, to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. We're going to look at the first three verses there because here's the problem. This is why we can't move out in faith many times and why some of you, if, if you're honest this morning, you stopped dreaming a long time ago. Psalm 137 is a psalm... It's called a lament. It's not a song of thanksgiving and praise. It's a song written at some people's lowest point. It's a song written by exiles. It's a song written by people who have been driven out as refugees from their own land, and they don't have a place to live. They don't have a temple to worship in. And guess what? They feel utterly forsaken by God. And I want you to see the context of this 
Uh, in Psalm 137, verse 1, he said, look, look at where they're at. They're beside the rivers of Babylon. They're not at home in Jerusalem. They're in a foreign place. They're in a pagan place, a very wicked place. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. If, if most of us would pause for a moment and think about the disappointments and hurts and failures of our past, we'd probably start crying. How many of you have ever been there? Sometimes it's very convenient. We get stuck in the pain of past mistakes, past regrets, things that were done to us, things that we maybe did to others that we're ashamed of. And if, if you sit around long enough looking in your rearview mirror, you can start weeping over all the things that have happened in your life, all the disappointments. That's where they're at. And here's what happens in verse 2 as a result of pain and brokenness. We put away our harps. If we, I'm going to paraphrase that. I hung up my electric guitar and we stopped jamming. All right, I put away my drums. I put away the keyboards. We ain't singing anymore. We put away the harps. We hung them on the branches of poplar trees. And here's what the devil likes to do. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs from the homeland, Jerusalem. How many of you know when you're in a place of brokenness and despair and hopelessness and the devil comes mocking you, hey, sing that favorite praise song of yours. Have anybody ever been in a place where you're like, I don't want to sing. Anybody ever come here on Sunday? Or maybe you didn't even get here on Sunday. The alarm clock went off and you're like, I ain't going to church. I don't want to sing. I don't want to listen to that guy preach to me. It irritates me. Now, I, I shared first service. You probably didn't feel that second part, because I know you all love me. I don't irritate you, at least my, most of the But have you ever been at the place where you're like, I don't need to hear that verse again. I don't need someone to tell me it's going to be all right. I don't want to sing praise songs. I just want to sit down and fold my arms and chill out. Well, why are you there? Have you ever asked that question? Why are you there? Let me tell you why you're there. You're there because of the pain and the hurt and the brokenness. And basically you said, you know what? I'm hanging up my guitar. I ain't singing anymore. And I'll just tell you this. What Satan wants to do in every one of your lives is rob you of your life song. He wants to shut your mouth. He wants to quench your vision. He wants to stomp on your hope. And he wants to basically neutralize the vision and purpose of God for your life. That's his plan. Look at Job 30, 31. Job was, was well familiar with the pain and disappointment of life. He said, the voice of joy and gladness has turned into mourning. Maybe you've been there. The voice of joy and gladness has turned into mourning. I got three things that God wants to do in response to this backdrop. Maybe you're here this morning and you're stuck. Many people are stuck. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not full of the dream that makes you alive. How I many you know when we're young, many times we can be really excited with life dreams. But the older we get, it seems like life just beats us up, stuff happens. And some of you here today are just tired, you're worn out, and you don't have a dream burning in your heart. Listen to me, this is the word from the Lord. It's time to dream again. I'm speaking to you. Well, pastor, you don't know, I'm too old, I'm too this. I'm speaking to you. The Lord says it's time to dream again. Here's what I want us to understand, though. 
This is God's dream for all of us and for every human being. God's dream is restoration and healing. God wants us to be a part of his bigger plan for the world. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, the size of your dream may be the most accurate assessment of the size of your God. May I suggest to you this morning that if your dream is small or non-existent, it's only because your relationship with Jesus has grown cold and distant. Because the closer you get, the bigger you see, the more you realize nothing is impossible with God. And that God wants to sing a song uniquely through you that impacts your generation and impacts your church family. So here's the question that we need to ask together. First of all, what is the God-sized dream for living stones? And the primary responsibility for that dream rests on myself and upon our leadership team. I understand that, but I'm asking you together. Are you ready to start believing with me that our best days are right in front of us? They're not where we're at now. They're not where we were the last 30 years, although they're all great. They're all foundational. But anybody want to believe with me that God's wanting to do some things in our generation, in this season now, that's going to leave an impact for years and years to come and touch lots and lots of people? So what's God's dream for living stones? I'm going to start unveiling that next Sunday. You won't want to miss it. But here's the second question. What's God's dream for your life? What's the God-sized dream for your life? And let me suggest something that's very, very important. A lot of people write off church and they, they think, oh, you know, why do I really need to be committed to the local church? You know, I love the Lord. I'm going to heaven someday. That's good. I'm, I'm cool. Let me tell you why you need to be attached to the local church. Because God's dream in your life is not meant to be lived out or even achieved in isolation. The reason that you're here is because there is something in you, a missing component in your dream that's going to find expression and find uh, uh, the wind at, at your back in this place right here. In other words, your personal dream is attached to the corporate vision of the house. Uh, let, me, let me just share how this works out. I, I shared this at our leadership meeting a few weeks ago. I started thinking of how God works through our lives providentially over decades to connect us with people and relationships that are part of our history, our future, part of the providence of God for the unique dream that He wants to express in our lives, all right? You all know I just, you know, celebrated being a grandpa, which is really awesome, and a little Uriah's here, and I started thinking, this is awesome. And I started thinking, how, how did this little kid get here? Of course, I, I understand biology. We all figured that out. Um, some of you wondered if I figured that out after our eight kids, but yes, I did figure that out. After about child number six, it dawned on me how those things went together. But anyway, um, how in the world did Lauren meet Aaron? Aaron's a Cajun boy. Aaron's from a place our family never went to, all right? And Cajuns, they don't come north very far. They, they freak out about leaving the swamps. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And Aaron came up here on a day when there was a blizzard happening. It was great, and I got him his first job. Snow removal, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. And anyway, that was kind of a bad joke for him. But anyway, um, I wanted to welcome him and to really see if he had what it took, if he had the medal to jump into the Johnson family and to maybe someday have a future with my daughter. So 
Okay, so that's how I met Aaron. But how did he get up here? Why was he up here? Oh, he was up here because we were partnering with a bunch of churches called the Network of Related Pastors. And we met this wild, crazy Cajun named Brother Rod. How many of you know Brother Rod? And I kept thinking, what's a fine, respectable church like ours associating with a wild Cajun? If it's brown, it's down. You know, he shoots everything. that, that moves. He eats crazy things. They bite ducks on the head. You know, when Anyway, they're weird. Cajuns are weird. They're just weird. And I have to do all this damage control after he leaves. I got traumatized animal lovers and everything else. And he's shooting all these things and stuff. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. So anyway, then I start thinking about Brother Rod. And I think, well, how do we meet Brother Rod? How would I have ever met somebody like that? Well, from Dick and Susie Basta, who were pastoring there. And I start thinking, well, how did I meet Dick and Susie Basta? I met Dick and Susie Bastia because they came to a missions banquet we had here and spoke one time. Well, how did they get invited to the mission banquet? Because our previous missions pastors met them over at the Bible League. Well, how did they get to the Bible League? Well, they got to the Bible League when they left Colorado, and the Lord closed that door. Well, how did they leave Colorado? Oh, that goes all the way back to Louisiana. And so I'm connecting all these dots, and I came to this incredible revelation. It scared me at first that the reason I have a grandson is because of Dick Bashta. And I mean, that just freaked me out. I had to do a, I had, I had to pause on that one. I mean, I started connecting these dots. I mean, think about, think about your life. Your life has an upline of people that God providentially brought into your life, sometimes for a short period, sometimes for a long period. I'm telling you something right now. Listen to this. You're here today by God's assignment. The people sitting next to you may be playing a smaller part or a significant part in you fulfilling the destiny God has on your life. In other words, it isn't just about you. You don't accomplish great things by yourself. You, you have an upline of people who have poured into you over the years, and you're here by the grace of God. Are you with me? And you know what we're supposed to do to our upline? We're supposed to honor them. You know, God spoke to me during, mom, or during Dad's 80th birthday party here a few weeks back, and uh, I was trying to let the Holy Spirit lead the whole thing, and uh, we didn't have an agenda per se as far as who's talking and who's praying or whatever. But the Lord said, I want you to have Charlie Woods give the closing prayer over your dad, a blessing. Well, those of you that have been around here for some time know that Charlie Woods was one of our founding elders and was at this church for decades. And God moved Charlie and Sharon on to another place. And sometimes that's the way our dreams work. But you know what? We wouldn't be here today in a a portion of the way if it wasn't for Charlie and Sharon Woods and for the investment of the time that they made over the years. So you know what God said? Honor that. Honor those people in your life. Some of them, God's moved them out. Some of it, it was even painful. Honor everybody who's had a role to play in your life. But here's the other side. Every one of you has a downline, which means there is generations to come who are impacted by the person you are right now and the choices that you're making right now. And, listen to this one, by your ability to fulfill the song, to sing the song God wants to sing through your life. So if you don't pick up that harp that you hung on the poplar tree and stop having a pity party by the river, there's a downline that's going to miss out 
because they were supposed to get something from you and they're not getting it or they might miss it or you know what, you might give them the super load of down the line of legacy that's going to leave a lasting impact for generations to come. Now this is also true about our church family. We can just play it safe. We can just go through the motions. We can have nice religious services. Or you know what? We can believe God to do crazy things that, that, that'll, leave an, that'll leave a mark. I mean, you know, when you've had an encounter with the living God, you know it. He, le- he leaves a mark. Guess what? Our church should be leaving a mark. There, there should be people, you know, it was so precious to watch People come up, they were having marriage problems. And they came to marriage class and they sat in with mom and dad and they received some of the song coming out of their life. And I watched testimonies and I started putting the dots together because some of those testimonies were, if this marriage didn't work, those four kids sitting there at your table don't exist. They wouldn't be here. You know that there are some of those some kids that were at that meeting who wouldn't exist if it were not for somebody's downline. This, this is pretty stunning. When I'm thinking of the impact Livingstones is having in Cambodia, and we're gonna have to wait till heaven to see the full impact of what God is doing corporately in the just in the nations. I get very excited about that because I know that there, there will be people that will be hearing what we just spent three days downloading that will echo for generations that come throughout that nation. Listen, your, your marriage right now is echoing. Something's coming off of you. If your marriage was broken before, you've been through the pain, listen, here's the good news. God wants to resurrect dreams and he wants to change destinies and he wants to release fresh downline and legacy in spite of the brokenness and failure and hurt of some of our life's story this is what god does he's a resurrecting god and he takes even what the enemy meant to stop our song and he turns it into something amazing that's the way he works god is a creator and he wants to write his story through us now this i want you to think about this when God spoke into this world, the world, the Bible says the earth was formless and void, and God said, let there be, and he spoke the word of the Lord, and creative things happened. That's the power that God has as creator. You were part of that creative process. You're thinking, well, no, I just came from my mom and dad. Follow your upline, and I'll tell you where your upline will take you. When God himself spoke and created the first human beings, that's where your upline will take you. You're not an accident. You're somebody that God specifically created. You're one of a kind. You're the only you. And listen, there is music that is supposed to be coming off of your heart for the glory of God and for the blessing of other people. And God, because he's a creator, he made us in his image and likeness, which gives us the ability to think of a different future, a a preferred future, and to dream about that and to see that come to happen. That's the ability that we have as human beings. My dog never had that ability. My little fish at home doesn't have that ability. But guess what? You share that ability. God gives us the ability to create and to dream. And he expects that we do that because we're made in his image. The second thing that God is, is he's a redeemer. Which means this. God's purpose is to bring restoration and healing 
to everything that he touches. God makes dead things live again. Guess what your assignment is in life? It's to dream with God, and it's to make dead things come to life. That's our privilege. Isn't that awesome? Everywhere we go, everything we do has a redemptive component to it. God wants to raise dead, broken, hurting things and make them come alive again, and he wants to do it through his church. So this story is not like this positive motivation, be all that you can be. Most people take a message like this and they say, okay, I'm going to dream my dream and then I'm going to ask God to bless it. I mean, you know, that's not the way this works. God wants to give you a dream and then he wants to bless it. He's not about your definition of success. This is really about our story within his story. He's got a big story he's writing. It's awesome. It's all for his glory. Every one of you have been invited to be a part of that drama. And he expects us to do that. The dream is from God, and the dream is for God. Here's a problem. I want you to see before we get to our text in Isaiah 54. Look with me on the screen. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 12. Here's where most of us have been and where most of our culture is right now. It says, They furnish wine and lovely music at their grand parties. Lyre and harp, tambourine and flute. They got the whole band going on. They got the party happening. But look at what it says next. They never think about the Lord or notice what He's doing. What a tragic story or statement to be made over any of our lives that the party's happening, man. We're throwing the party. We got the band going. Man, it's, it's hopping. But the problem is God's not the center of our life's party. And we don't even really think about Him. What a tragedy that God does not want this. So I gave you the backdrop of pain, brokenness, barrenness, the dream, what God wants to do through us. Um, but let me set the stage here for where we want to go this morning. Because this is what God does. And I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 54 and look at verse 1. The dream not only is God's dream, but the dream happens in God's time. And can I just remind all of you that God's time and your time are not the same time. <laughs> I have no idea what time, my body has no idea what time it really is right now, all right? We've been on an airplane for 20 hours and crossed God only knows how many. I actually left on Saturday, on Friday night and got home on Saturday morning. Um, and we, it was crazy how all that works, all right? How we actually gain time on the way home and lose a day going there. But here's the deal. God's not on your time. God's on his time. And if we can get this in mind, it's really good news. But sometimes, let me just tell you, when God says, now, you're never expecting it. And let me just give you a hint. This morning, listen to me. God is saying, now. I'm telling you personally, this is a word from the Lord. The time for the dream is now. Let me go to Isaiah chapter 54, and you're going to see that God's time is not our time. God says this. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. Notice the personal component, the corporate component, the childless woman and the city of Jerusalem. For the desolate woman, the Bible says, now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, well, how is that the case? Because the, it ends with this little phrase, says the Lord. 
When God speaks into our context and His authority is on it, the power of God's words has the power to change everything. Have you ever been in a situation when you've been broken or hurting or hopeless or fearful or whatever it is, and you read your Bible or you're worshiping God, and one word from God changes everything? At the end of of March, we have the opportunity, we're going back to India for the graduation there of the Roar School. And right before then, I I told Pastor Dick and Susie, I wanted to go through, since we're in the neighborhood, I wanted to go to Pakistan because there's somebody that actually I met on Facebook that God's laid on my heart who's doing a great work there. And I wanted to stop by and see the work of the Lord there. How many know Pakistan's not real Western friendly or Christian friendly? While I'm worshiping two weeks ago, I'm not even thinking about Pakistan. I'm actually thinking about the Lord, and I'm thinking about the message on the Word of God. And I had a little vision. I saw myself preaching on a stage in Pakistan, and I even heard what I was saying. How many of you know, instantly I started weeping, and my heart was filled with supernatural faith. Pakistan hasn't changed. But one word from God changes my reality. That's the way God works. God says to a woman who is broken and barren and desolate and full of pain and childless and helpless and who's lost all hope, and God says, sing! That is so insensitive on God's part. Are you kidding me? God is telling a human being who's lost hope, who's broken, who's hurting, sing. you got to be kidding me. I mean, you talk about ruining the party. You don't come to somebody who's at their wits end, who's at the bottom of the barrel, hanging at the end of the rope, and say, sing. Oh, but God's even more culturally insensitive here because he doesn't just say sing. He says, sing loud. Oh, and, and not just sing loud, be joyful. Sing loud and be joyful. you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, it's easy to sing a song of praise after the breakthrough. In fact, you can't help yourself. You just, woo-hoo-hoo, it just flows out of you after the breakthrough. You remember there's a whole, there's a whole chapter in the Bible, uh, Miriam's Song. When did Miriam sing her song? Right after God split the Red Sea wide open, right? Had them walk through on dry ground and then swallowed up the entire Egyptian army. How many of you know if you can't sing after that, something's the matter with you? Any of us could have been singing after that. But let me tell you, when you're in the middle of your barrenness and your brokenness and God tells you, to sing and to sing loud and to release a joyful song. How many of you know it takes some radical, bold faith to open your mouth and to let that song come out? But I'm telling you, it's a weapon and it's a precursor to some of the greatest breakthrough in your life. At your lowest point, if you can open up your mouth and sing and worship God, you are, you are on the threshold of watching a supernatural move of God happen in your life. That's the power of worship and praise in the midst of our pain and suffering. Now here's the problem. Some of us, were so broken and barren, we've just given up on our dreaming. We've let, we've let Satan steal our song. We know our past failures all too well. 
And we're very familiar with our weaknesses. I prayed for someone this morning with tears coming down his face. He said, you know what? I know God's telling me to dream again, but, and here's the but, and we all know it, we know ourselves. We know the times we stepped up before and fell flat on our face. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We know the shameful moments from the past. You know, some of you still aren't singing your song today because you did something stupid like three decades ago and Satan keeps reminding you and so you're just not singing because he beats you up with shame. When are you going to let the shame go and start believing that God's already dealt with that shame and he's resurrected you and he wants you to start singing loud and with joy? But see, you're not singing because oh, we know our failures very, very well. In fact, I dread making New Year's resolutions because... I know that some of them, I've already failed on them in years past, and I'm just going to set myself up for failure. So, you know, we just stop dreaming. Am I talking to the right crowd this morning? Here's the problem. You know yourself better than you know the God who's calling to sing through you. And so you, you let your own weaknesses. See, everything that, we're, that you could say about yourself is true. Yep, it's all true. Yep, you did that. Yeah, you failed. Yep, you're not smart enough. Yep, 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 you're not this, you're not that. Yep, you know yourself. You're an expert on yourself. Have you figured out that God brings you to the end so that you realize it's not you and it can't be you? And then he starts telling you, sing! And you're like, Lord, um, I don't sing. Can't sing. Not a gifted singer. In fact, I was hoping, you know, sometimes the guys back there in the sound booth for fun, they can actually hear me sing because they hear it through the headphones, and they can isolate my singing from your singing, <laughs> which is really funny. I mean, or painful, however you want to hear it. I was not made to be featured in any solo of any shape or form. My singing was meant to be drowned out by a mass choir. <laughs> God likes my singing. Nobody else does. So if the Lord says to you, sing and you're like me you're like not my gifting he's not he's not listening to you when god's calling you to do something great and you see it in your heart and you know what i'm talking about you see it in your heart in your spirit not in your head in your spirit you know it was the lord and then you go oh but that's not me oh you just killed god just said sing and you just said no don't do it that's not my gifting until you stop Believing yourself and being, being, listen, staying comfortable in your little safe spot of barrenness. How do you know barrenness is a safe place? I don't produce anything. I'm not good at anything. Nobody has any expectations of me. I'm just going to stay here in my safe, barren, miserable place. It takes faith to step out of your coffin and to believe that God has something crazy, awesome, supernatural, exciting, fun that he wants to do through your life. You know, most of us, we get to the end of our days, okay, and you're going to have regrets. You're going to have regrets in two forms. The first form of regret goes like this. I regret the stupid things that I did. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I regret the dumb things I said. I regret my selfishness. I regret my shameful behavior. I regret my sin. I regret it. I regret it. I regret it. But you're going to have a lot more regrets than the stupid things you did. You're going to have regrets over all the great, amazing, awesome things you never tried. Because you simply couldn't get out of your familiar, safe, boring coffin that you live in. I don't know if that's God speaking, but that might have been me. All right. 
How many of you know, when God brought Ezekiel out, he put him in the middle of a field full of dead bones. And he's looking at all these bones everywhere, dead bones. And they were really dry, the Bible says. God puts that in there, really dry, dead. And God asks Ezekiel this question. Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's looking around like we would. And he's a prophet, so he learned that basically a prophet's job is just to speak what God says. So this is what Ezekiel's incredibly smart answer was. Well, you know, Lord. How you know that's a good answer? That's like not a chance in the natural. And don't even expect me to believe it. But Lord, you know. Some of you need to say this this morning. God, could anything great could there be a great song you're wanting to sing through my life? Well, you know, Lord. And you just let God begin to do something awesome to surprise even you because that's what he loves to do. You know, Lord. You know, Lord. God wants to speak creative words into the prisons of our present pain. And he wants us to start vocalizing our joy. He wants us to start praising him, thanking him. You know, there's been times when my body health-wise has been on the edge. And you know what I do? I just say, hallelujah, Lord. I thank you for your grace and strength. I, I tell these symptoms to get out of here in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for your provision, for my healing. And Lord, all these symptoms and things that are trying to manifest in my life, I just thank you, God, that you're greater. And I just receive the grace that I need right now to keep going on. Uh, that is a, a form of preaching to myself and singing over my weakness. Some of you are facing things far more great than symptoms in your life. Some of you have real diagnoses that you're facing. Some of them may be even facing life-threatening things. Well, Pastor, what would you say to do? Sing to them. Sing over them. Begin to get your eyes on the greater one and begin to let praise come out before the breakthrough and then watch what God does afterwards. That's what I'm telling you to do. Singing in the midst of our pain requires a bold kind of risky faith. But this is what God says. Make it loud and make it joyful. How do we do this? Well, we need to get the victory God's way, which is to sing. And I want you to see Psalm 57. This is what I want to pray over, folks, this morning. Psalm 57, verse 8. And let's have the worship team come back on stage right now. Look at what this says. It's powerful. Wake up my heart. The psalmist is speaking to his heart that has grown numb. He's speaking to a heart that has lost its way. He's speaking to a heart that's given up. He's speaking to a heart that maybe feels hopeless. And this is what the psalmist says. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O heart. Come on. Wake up. Start beating. Start coming alive again. God wants us to sing our way out of this service this morning. And this is my prayer. That as you start declaring some of these things in faith, you know, we, we did the first version early, okay? We sang the whole song set. Hopefully that awakened some of you, got your gut, you started feeling life going a little bit, got your heart going. Um, but how many of you know when you put the word together with the spirit, it's like that defibrillator. When something's dead, you take the two pads, boom, uh, electricity shoots through, that heart starts beating again. I've given you the word, we've got the Holy Spirit, this is what I want you to do to your heart. Wake up, O heart. I'm asking you to join me 
in giving God permission to sing a fresh song through you. Some of you need to pick up the instrument that you put down because you stopped singing a long time ago, and you need to start saying, you know what? Uh, The enemy's been saying, oh, sing that song again. That song about healing, and you're not feeling too healthy right now. Yeah, sing that healing song again. Oh, he likes to torment us. Well, you know what you do? You say, oh, thanks, Satan, for the suggestion. I'm going to sing it really loud, and even though I'm not feeling great right now, I'm going to sing it with every ounce of joy that I can muster. Hallelujah. And as an act of your faith, you give him the one-two punch. Now listen, this is not just some weird psychobabble. This is called faith because God said, sing to a barren lady. And this is what he said, before it was ever changed. He said this, you got more kids than the woman with a house full of kids. Now, she's, she, she's still literally barren. But God says, no, no, no. This is from my perspective. I'm telling you something you haven't seen yet. I'm speaking into your situation. So here's what I'm talking about this morning. Some of you need breakthrough. What's the word of the Lord to you? Sing loud and sing with joy. Some of you need uh, a physical healing. Sing loud and sing with joy. Listen to me. Keep on singing. Some of you say, okay, God, I've been the person throwing the party, but I haven't really been thinking too much about you. Listen to me. I'm not talking about being all that you can be, dream the dream, live the life, uh, the American dream. No, no, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about God being in the center of your life and you recognizing God wants to sing a unique song through you that nobody else can sing. It's about you partnering with him. Some of you need to come forward and just surrender and say, Jesus, I've been singing my own song. And you know what? No one's showing up. That's not going, the gig's not happening too well. Uh, How about letting God sing his song through you and watch the fruit that's going to happen in your life? I want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to respond right now. And we're going to sing. As an act of your faith, release faith in God. Release the word of the Lord. We're singing it. Release the word of the Lord. We're singing, you are stronger. You are stronger. Do you believe that? Declare that, even in your weakness, that God is stronger. Watch how he begins to infuse your soul with life. Don't forget, at the end of this service, I just want to restate it so there's no confusion, but we encourage you to celebrate the covenant you have with God by taking communion together. You can do that down the hallway in the fellowship hall. We've got tables set up. Go up there as a family as you leave. Take communion together. We'll have ushers at the door. We want to worship God in our giving. We want to give joyfully. We want to give in faith. You can do that on the way out. But right now, right now, right now, it's time for you to dream again. Let's ask God to speak. Let's ask God for vision. Let's ask God for freshness in our spirits. Let's let's choose to believe to sing again. Let the song of the Lord come alive in your heart. Right now is an act of faith. And if you're one of those people that says, awake my heart, I need fresh vision from God. I want you just to come out of your chairs, come down front and sing as an act of faith. Let God meet you at this altar, all right? Let's worship him.